Welcome to Proudly ADHD at work and in business. I am your host, Coach Kathy Rashidian, and I help professionals like you understand the science behind your unique brain so you can unlock that inner genius. Ready to transform your ADHD into your best asset? Keep listening. Welcome to another episode with Coach Kathy. Today, I have a lovely guest with me who's been on my radar for quite some time, and I'm so glad that he said yes, and we're going to talk about some really important stuff, as I always do with my awesome guests. Today, we're going to talk about ADHD and autism spectrum, and Sean Smith is my guest today, and I'm delighted to have him here, and he's, we're going to talk about uh, his journey with, with the both diagnosis and also his journey with regards to the world of neurodiversity and some of the activities that he's done, some of the a- advocacies that he's done in our community. So Sean, welcome to my show. Thanks for having me, Kathy. I appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. I'm looking at your shirt. It says, don't diss my ability. Let's start with that. What a cool tagline there. How did that come about, Sean? Thanks. It came about shortly after my diagnosis when I started taking Ritalin. I was in the the Northwest Territories of all places in a little town of Fort Smith, population 2,500. And so things work a little bit differently there. You don't need an assessment to get a prescription. (laughs) And so I kind of did things a little bit backwards. I got the prescription first. And I would say within 20 to 30 minutes of taking it, I actually felt a tingling in my brain. Before that time, I would have described uh, my life as though I lived in this really intense fog where I, I couldn't really see the forest for the trees. I had really bad short-term memory. And I mean, when I say bad, it was really bad. I, I refer to the period of my life before I started taking medication as the Neanderthal era. Uh, a slightly less evolved version of myself because things were really bad, but we'll, we'll get to that in a minute. But I, I was working at a treatment facility for, for at risk youth. And I just, I had this beat in my head and I started to write kind of a, a rap song about my experiences and how, you know, the people who are closest to me really, you know, they should offer the most love and support, but often provide the least. And so kind of growing up feeling as though I was dumb and not worthy and just kind of taking up space. And uh, don't diss my ability just kind of came to me and it, and it kind of turned into a rap or, or a poem uh, to kind of describe my experiences of, of this kind of awakening that I experienced through medication. Sean, if you don't mind me asking, this is what were you doing during the time when, when you thought ADHD is, is like, how did the ADHD thing come about? What were, what was like, you know, why the medication, the conversation? I'm curious about that. Sure. Well, I mean, it, I, I struggled through the education system my entire life up to that point. I mean, it took me four years to finish three years of high school, 32 attempts during 18 credits required to graduate. I failed Greek and math four times. You know, if you'd asked my parents, which one of me or my siblings would have gone on to post-secondary, it would have been my brother, my sister, the dog, the cat. And then, you know, they had me convinced that I, I you know, if I didn't uh, shape up, they'd be shipping. And it just, you know, so I lived, I had a lot of anxiety and fear, but I, I, I tried to go, so before that actual, I, before I got medication, I actually went to my own family doctor here in, in uh, New Brunswick and, you know, just described my symptoms and my doctor basically told me that I was fat lazy and that I needed to exercise more and, and eat better. I was in college. I, I was actually playing collegiate football. I was in the best shape of my life. So it was really disheartening to, you know, be vulnerable, reach out for help, I think especially as men. Right. It's, it's not something that we're, you know, especially at that time, wasn't used to doing. So I really kind of it took me a lot of uh, energy 
to really work up, you know, to, to go and even have that conversation with my doctor. And so to have it twice and, and both times be denied a referral to go see a psychologist was really just disheartening. And then having to the Northwest Territories, I, I was really good at my job. I'd, I'd worked in other kind of helping helping jobs, working with at-risk youth and really rocked what I, but I get into a dispute with my employer where um, when shit would hit the fan, I was the person that they would, they would call. And when I would go to the dream facility, even though everything was like really chaotic, I would kind of go into this zone and automatically know like everything that needs to happen and what I needed to do. And I needed to write a report after because there was so much chaos happening. It was hard for me to write that report and it took longer than my employer thought it should. And so he refused to pay me for the hours that I submitted. I have a saying, I don't like to get got. And so I said, no problem. Next time things happen, I'm not the person you're going to call because I'm not going to come in if you're not going to pay me. And yeah. so that prompted me to make an appointment with the lo <laughs> locum uh, doctor there because the psychiatrist only would come through town like maybe once every six or eight weeks. So I went to see a doctor there, got the script for Ritalin and changed my life in a, in a huge way. Are you still on, if you don't mind me asking? I've, I'm still on medication, but I've switched from, I went from Ritalin to Concerta mm -hmm. and then Ritalin with Concerta. Mm. And then I switched to Vibe. That journey, the reason I ask is because I, I'm on that journey still. And it's like, okay, what other concoction is going to do the yeah. trick? And I, I just want to bring to light for a second in the conversation about medication with you, if you don't mind, what you see in your clients, the experience, because it is quite a journey, right? Like I remember when I first was given Adderall, I was like, oh my God, my heart's going to come out of my chest. And it was like the tiniest dose. And, and I only lit, lasted for a week. I'm like, nope, give me something else. And then it came Concerta and then it came Vyvanse. And now it's, I recently tried Full Quest. It's the new one in the market. And I found I was having, I was very depressed on it. Like it was just like right. really, I was experiencing depression. I'm like, what the heck? Focus is good, but really dark thoughts. What's happening again? So I'm mm -hmm. now on nothing, but still waiting to see what else is out there. So I'm on a wait list to see specialists. What do you notice in in this journey with your clients that, that you work with on the medication? What do you want to tell them? It's long. You know, I, I think that when people get that diagnosis, they, they automatically think like, okay, I'm going to get medication that's going to work. Yeah. Unfortunately, that's not the case. Uh, it's all trial and error. The first medication you try, if it is the right one, it's not going to be the right dose. So there's still going to be that buildup, but it, it requires uh, patience. And, you know, there's a lot of tricky things about it, Kathy. I mean, some doctors are hesitant to prescribe a stimulant right off the bat. And so they'll mm -hmm. have people go through some antidepressants, which I, I also went through and had some really horrible negative experiences from them. So, it, it, but, you know, I always tell people, although I'm very open about what I take, I, I make sure to share with clients what, you know, what I take may have adverse effects for, for you. Yeah. So it's not what, what works for one is not going to work for, for everybody, but it really does come down to, to trial and error. And I think it's also worth doing some research into generic brands to determine if they are as effective as the, the name brands. I know with Concerta, the, the non-name brand, the generic brand was not as effective. And so there's little tips and tricks. Like if your doctor's writing up the script and they don't put that you need that name brand, then the, the insurance company or the pharmacy will automatically give you the generic brand and that will be covered by insurance. So there's just little tips and tricks around certain medication. I know that that was my experience with the other thing I, I share with clients is that be prepared for the pharmacist to look at you like you're an addict. I know, um, every, right? Every time, every time you yes. go, to your, you know, 
God forbid somebody go on vacation and need their script like a week early. They look at you like you're a junkie. It's like, Jesus, yeah. man, I'm a, th I'm a therapist for God's sake. It's like, I'm not, I'm not trying to get, you know, like I'm not, I'm not looking to sell this. I'm, I'm not, you know, you, you can't really abuse Concerta other than taking too much, but even then, you know, so I, I try to walk my clients through that too, because there's that stigma that kind of comes with it. Right. It's the, the assumption that, you know, anybody who has it has the potential to misuse it, but that's not, that's not the case. And it's, I, I think it's, they take a little, little bit too far. You, you just reminded me of this one time I was at the pharmacist and she's like, she says my name and she's like, so you've taken, uh, you've taken Adderall before. And she said it really loud and there's people around us and they all like kind of looked at me weird. I'm like, fuck, why do you have to be so loud? <laughs> like, yes, I have. Give me the prescription. <laughs> Let's go. <laughs> it's awkward, but yeah, it is. But then so is the stigma. Do you want to talk about the stigma around, around our, our, our beautiful brain? What have you experienced? Sean? Sure. Well, you know what, for me, it, it, I, I don't, I don't really have a stigma for me. It's just all been positive. I always tell people like ADHD isn't what's wrong. This is what's right with me. What was wrong was not knowing what was mm -hmm. wrong was feeling guilt, shame, and anxiety about who I was and, and not really understanding how my thought process or my brain works. So for me, although I still have challenges, you know, and just to give you some background, like I, I, I got stuck into college after high school to play football and, and save up because we have that system here. Brought my grades up enough to attend university. Just graduated, like just barely squeaked through the Bachelor of Arts degree with a, a 2.3 GPA. And then after my diagnosis, I went and started taking medication. I went back to upgrade as a mature student, took five courses, a new GPA of 3.7. And then I got into a master's program on academic probation, graduated a year later at the top of my class. So like, that's the difference medication made for me. Now I'm, I'm a pretty extreme example. Not everybody's going to have, you know, that experience, but I make a point of sharing it so that people really do understand what life was like. Like I used to tie my shoes the wrong way before I tied them the right way every time. Mm -hmm. Like I couldn't remember simple, basic instructions. If I stopped somewhere, you know, a, a foreign place, you know, I, I worked in the States before and when I, when I was there, you know, I would stop and ask for directions. I could remember, remember steps one and two, but if I try to remember steps two and three, three and four. They would all get jumbled in my head and I'd feel like a huge dummy. I'd have to pull across the street to the next gas station, ask them for, for instructions or directions. And it was just, it was really bad. You know, one of the ways I described that is that I was wrongfully imprisoned in my own mind. Like I just, I, I couldn't think beyond myself. And so medication really just kind of opened up a plethora of doors and made me challenge not only the way that I thought, but the things that I've been told. For sure. In addition to medication, what else, what else is, because it, to me, it's, it's, you know, like right now I'm not on it, but I have all these other system and tools and I'm also professionally trained. So, you know, there's a little bit of that, but what else has, have you seen that that's kind of been supplementing it? Cause it's one piece of the pie, right? Sure. I, I think a big part is challenging yourself in, in different ways, you know, and I, I think that's one of the things of being undiagnosed is feeling like I couldn't do anything. And, and now my confidence is at such a place that I feel like I can really do anything that I set my mind to. I have a lot of different hobbies. I'm an amateur chef and chocolatier and I go deep into the process. Like I don't, like I, <laughs> my wife ever listened to this, she'll shoot me. I, I spent about $300 on high end chocolate that I got from a friend who's a, a chef. She owns a, a patisserie and cafe. And uh, I go deep into the process. So I taught myself how to temper chocolate, how to make caramel. And so like this holiday season, I made cherry cordials from scratch. So, like I made my product from scratch, dip the cherries, temper the chocolate. And all of this stuff is, it's a long process, but nobody does this anymore. So I was trying to think of like, how can I teach myself to, and develop a, a new skill? And so 
that's something that I really got into was cooking and candy making and all kinds of stuff. So really just kind of pushing myself. I started teaching myself how to play the harmonica and now I'm taking lessons. How is that um, helping you? How is that the, the challenges that you're creating? What do you think it's doing to your brain wiring, to your who you are? Whenever I get stuck on something that I feel like I, I just, I'm not able to move past for whatever reason, switching gears and immersing myself in something else. And the reason why it has to be kind of an intricate process for me is that if it's not, then not all of my attention will go there. So it has to be kind of a, a make it or break it thing. So I do something very intricate that's going to take a lot of time. It's going to take all my energy and focus so that by the time I'm done and that kind of cycle is complete, I can go back to whatever it is that was uh, kind of challenging me and take about it through a completely different lens. And that's, oh. that's one of my strategies. Good so it's, one. it's good. It's good way to kind of get out of your head in, in a different way. I also, you know, I've, I have a, a deck of cards here. I've started teaching myself how to do different card tricks. So for me, it's, it's always about pushing myself to develop and, and learn new skills. Because if you think about it, if you're not, then what does that mean you're doing? You're, you're stagnant. Right. Yeah. So it's, you know, and, and some I, I'm able to perform and achieve better than others, but it, it all comes back to if you're not actively making a plan to do something, it's like you're actively making a plan not to do something. And I think for a lot of us, the way that our minds cycle quickly and, and rapidly, we have a lot of interest, but we don't always take the time to, to see how far we can take them. And so that's where I kind of challenge myself to, to not just watch a video. I want to be able to make that video. And so it, it takes time and effort. And I think a lot of people, this is kind of a, something that I notice, and, and I'd be interested to hear your thoughts. When people see entrepreneurs with ADHD, they see the end result. They don't understand the anguish and all the effort that went into that end result. And so they mm -hmm. just want to be there without really recognizing the amount of hard work that went into to getting there. Totally. The journey in itself is quite painful. And not it's meant to be an entrepreneur. Let's just put that out there. It's not yeah, definitely. Easy. Yeah, and it, it's interesting for me to hear this because I, when it comes to projects like that, hobbies like that, I don't finish them. I start them, but then I don't have this curiosity that you do is to, to kind of see it through, which is, I find that like super cool. Do, were you always like that or are you intentionally making it, I'm going to see it to completion? I wasn't, I don't think I was always like that, but I, I think I, you know, a, a bit, I, it comes back to, you know, the medication where it's trial and error. That's life is trial and error. Mm -hmm. Right. I, I think for me, it, you know, I experienced a tremendous amount of growth, self growth in a relatively short period of time. And so I went from the people closest to me telling me that basically I, I, I was incapable of doing anything to, to me, you know, graduating with honors through a master's program and, and you know, realizing that maybe I shouldn't be listening to these people who are closest to me. Yeah. Maybe I need to be listening to my, myself. And it, and it wasn't about proving them wrong. For me, the mindset was more about proving myself right. And so recognizing that, you know, when I would sit at my desk and I would have an email to write or, or you know, some kind of report to do and I was stuck and I felt like I wasn't moving or, or you know, moving forward, I just like, I don't know, I just had this epiphany of like, what am I achieving by sitting here? absolutely nothing. This is just going to drag on for however, yep. however long I sit here. If I get up and do something different, then I actually achieve something. It may not be the thing that I set out to do, but I'm achieving something else, which will allow me to come back to that other thing. And, and that's kind of been what's helped me. And that's been kind of my, my process. I like it. I like it a lot. Well, nice. So let's talk about then came a second diagnosis. 
Yeah. I think it was recent, right? Was it last year in 2021 or well, year? Yeah, it was, now? I know, right? Yeah, it was this, this past summer, so 2021. And that actually came about through uh, a meltdown that I had. And before, uh, you know, it was probably the worst one that I'd had. And I go through bouts of uh, depression and, and anxiety. They're kind of like ADHD's cousins, right? It's, yep, you know, what yep. came first, the chicken or the egg? We know it, we know it has to be the chicken. I'm just kidding. But it's so for me, I, I had a, a meltdown. I was uh, doing some work for UConn. I'm part of a, a project, the Include program, where they're looking to recruit, retain neurodivergent students for um, their civil and environmental engineering program which is really cool. It's a five-year program, two and a half million dollar budget, you know, and I, I'm, I'm over here in Canada and I'm, I'm a guest lecturer. I'm a consultant and I'm on the advisory board and, and I had a lecture to do and I was just struggling to get it done. And, and I just had a breakdown. And I think one of the challenges that I have is, you know, uh, although I know the things that I need to do, I don't always take care of my physical health as well as I take care of my mental health. Yeah. And so it all just kind of caught up with me and I was dehydrated. I wasn't feeling well. And I just, I had this, this meltdown and had this epiphany of like, I, I should probably get this checked out. And now it, you know, I was able to get in within, you know, probably a two or three month period. I know it's different in, in Calgary, you have a lot more psychologists. It's easier to get in. Six it's months. been much more challenging. Oh, really? Six months wait. Yes. <laughs> okay. Well here, here it's, it's a probably closer to a year when the pandemic hit, everybody and their dog decided to, to get assessed, which I, I think is a great thing. Like when people talk about folks with ADHD and, and people are autistic, like there are only going to be more of us, not less. Mm -hmm. Right. So it's, mm -hmm. it's just, it's a matter of time. So there are more and more people coming out of the woodwork, sharing their story and their experiences, which I, I think is great. Yeah. So what happened with the diagnosis? What was the, the, what are the telltale signs or things that, and I, I shouldn't say like, because everybody's so different, but with autism, what does it look like? How does it show up? Well, for everybody, it's going to be different. So to, with my experiences, one of the things that I like, I don't have a close group of, of friends. And so really not having that kind of, you know, I have, you know, thanks to Clubhouse, you know, which is how I, I met you and a few other people. I, you know, I connect with people around the world in, in different ways. And I have a lot of friends that way, but I don't have a lot of close friends. I could say, Hey, let's, you know, let's have a beer or, you know, it's just, it's, that's not my world. So that, that was one of them realizing that I have really high standards, sensory issues. I have a really heightened sense of hearing and, and sight and touch, which again, are, are all gifts when you know how to use them, but when you don't, you know, they, they can be painful experiences. I'm trying to think of, of what else, a rigid, you know, sometimes rigid thinking, rigid thought, inflexibility, inflexibility and, and thoughts and getting lifted patterns. And to be perfectly honest, like it, sometimes it's hard to know where the ADHD ends and, and autism starts because for me, I mean, you know, although I was diagnosed at the ripe age of, of 44, I was always autistic, right? And it, it's not something that you develop. It's something that you're born with. Right. And I think that's part of the, the, the challenge is kind of having that time to reflect back and the, it wasn't the same as when I was diagnosed with ADHD and I started taking that medication because then it was kind of like the, the floodgates came open, like that fog that had always been there all of a sudden dissipated and I could see everything very clearly. Uh, there's no particular medication for autism, right? Yeah. So it, it's really was just kind of reflecting back on different life experiences that I've had and really kind of finding the the positive and trying to put positive, positive spins on it. So when I talk about, you know, the relationships that I, I do have, and I'm sure you'll get this reference of the, the littlest hobo. Do you remember that show with the dog? Yes, 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 yes. 
So he would kind of go into a, a new environment and he would help somebody kind of solve a crime. He would add That's value. right. And then when it was done, he would move on. And I kind of I kind of look at my life and my journey is the same way. Each each conversation is an opportunity for impact. And so although I may not have this close group of friends, I've had all these different experiences when I've been able to help people and add value. And we have that that kind of connection, but then I, I move on and it's someone else or it's somewhere else. And so I just I have a different way of kind of looking at it. I don't really feel, you know, any negative feelings about not having that close group of friends. I'm appreciative that I've been able to make the impact that I have and and the the friendships that I've made along the way. I love that because there's this sense of sometimes when I talk to uh, some folks that are on the spectrum is they're always looking for this sense of belonging. Like I want to belong. I want to belong. But what I hear is, Hey, I'm here for this point, for this reason. And I'm out. Bye. See you later. Moving on to the next thing. That's so cool. Yeah. I think a lot of people, um, hang on to relationships, you know, just, just because you've been friends with someone for a certain amount of time, doesn't mean that you're always going to be friends. You know, as, as I matured through medication and realized that a lot of the people that I, I consider friends are actually quite toxic. And so yeah. if, if they were toxic, then how is that, how does that help me move me forward? And it, it didn't. So again, you know, taking a, a long, hard look at who do I am, who I want to be and, and how do I get there? And, you know, who do I envision when I think about the future me that I want to be? And a lot of those people were not in that picture. Mm, so true. I have a question about rigid thinking because this sure. one fascinates me because sometimes I hear it in conversations and I hear the person like they're in a loop. They're stuck in there. And it's like they, they have their mind on something and it's like they could talk about it for two hours at it, like okay. ongoing the same topic. And I'm like, oh, my God, how do you how do they process? It? It's so fascinating. But when it comes to, and this is for our audience who are in the workplace, who are in leadership positions, how do you suggest managing that rigid thinking on the, 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 for those that are on the spectrum? Because it's a big one. It is, and, it, and it's hard because I think that for a lot of us, we think that we're right. Yes. And, and you know, a lot of it, you know, I, I will say more often than not, huh? so it's, a, it's kind of an instinctual thing, but just be, you know, just because you're right doesn't mean that you're not wrong, right? There's the way in which we can communicate that more effectively so that we're not seeming as rigid as we are. But I think, you know, for for the person who's on the other end, to think of the the context. So, you know, I've had 23 or 24 different jobs. I've literally done everything from shovel crap to a landscaper. I was a blackjack dealer in Lake Tahoe for a summer. I was a therapeutic foster parent in the state of Maine for a year and a half. I was a sheriff's officer. I worked two murder trials. I've worked for nonprofits. Like you name it, I've done, I've had a lot of different experiences that I can draw from that help kind of shape me as a human. So when I get asked a certain question, I instinctively know what my answer is. Somebody may not agree with me, and that's okay. And I think that's where the the rigidity it's it, it's all about perspective, right? Like you can be rigid in your thinking. We also need to accept and respect other people's opinions and, and viewpoints. That's that's part of engaging in society and, and relationships. You know, if somebody was right all the time, well, what does that mean? It means that they can't be wrong. And and no one is gonna like that person, right? So I think you have to have a little dignity and vulnerability. And and I think most of all, you have to have been humbled. I think that's that's the the biggest thing. If you haven't been humbled, I think that's really the difference between, you know being somebody who comes off as cocky and or somebody who actually knows what what they're talking about right it's it's that vulnerability and being humbled and knowing that 
you know, you, you've been taken down a peg before where you had to be forced into a position where you needed to learn and, and grow and have that experience. I love that. The humble part is so, so, so key. And, you know, most of the times you were right. Like, it's like, yes, I know you're right, but meet them where they're at. Maybe they're not ready for the truth, right? Maybe they're not ready for what's about to hit them. It's like the, the flat earthers that always, you know, (laughs) there's that group that say the earth is flat. It's like, okay, I will just go with that (laughs) until you're ready to see otherwise. And his perspective is everything. Sean, the other thing that was coming up for me is, is this idea around masking. And as you were saying that and humility and then being humble, I, I, I have my views on masking and what it means and, you know, how we show up. But then there's a time and a place of like, okay, let's just call it for what it is. And this is my opinion on this. And sure. I don't even know yours yet is Maybe we're just adjusting to the environment so that we can get through the damn meeting that we don't want to be in or going through an experience that whatever it is and to label it as masking. Sometimes I feel like it, like you're not losing yourself. You're just adjusting. This, this masking label comes up a lot in our community and especially in the, on the spectrum side a lot. What are your thoughts on it? What are your opinions on it? That was mine. I'm curious to hear. My thought on masking is it's any occasion where you feel you're not able to be your authentic, genuine self because there are other people around in whatever shape that may be. It may be personal, it may be professional. But to go back to your your thing about like getting through a meeting, I wouldn't even have that meeting. Mm. I, it just, it's not, it's not something I would engage in. And, and I've, you know, I, I read people extremely well. I'm all, I'm also an empath. I'm an emotional yeah. and, and, uh, intuitive empath. So I know within moments of observing someone or talking to them, how authentic and genuine they are, which is a gift, but it's also a curse because I see through people. Yes. And so if, if I don't connect with someone and I can tell it's just, it's a bullshit conversation, I'll just end it. Love it. Because, Boundaries. It, because it's not, it's, it's too hard for me to try to pretend to care. I used to, and it would take so much energy out of me that I, I can't pretend anymore. So that for me, it was really the, the masking, especially in, in uh, you know, social settings where there were a lot of people around, you know, there, there's so much stimuli being thrown at us that it's, it's hard for us to kind of figure out, you know, what's going on, where, you know, and this is one of the misperceptions about ADHD is that we can't focus. That's not true. The problem is we focus on everything. So how do, how do we tune out? certain conversations when we're in a, a huge social social setting and, and try to actively engage in a conversation with one or two people when we can literally hear all the conversations happening simultaneously it, it's it's a very hard thing to do so masking is definitely something that i experienced as a young person with um adhd and autism like i wanted to be invisible i didn't want to be seen you know and i think part of that was a, a coping strategy of, of recognizing and realizing that if you nodded in class the teacher you know, that, that was kind of the universal sign to the teacher that you knew what was going on. If you put your head down or you shook your head, you would get called on. So I would kind of fake it to make it and pretend like I knew what was going on just to try and get through that, you know, that 45 minute long class. And then, in, you know, get that five or 10 minute break to get to the next one where I would have to mask and pretend like I knew what was going on. So it was just, you know, and over time it, it helps to fuel the anxiety, which later turns into depression. And, you know, it's, it's a hard thing. I experienced a lot of stomach issues because heartburn, all kinds of things. Cause I was just so anxious all the time. I really, I, 
I lived in a lot of fear of kind of being called out. So my goal really was to just try not to be seen. Oh, oh no, I want to give you a hug. <laughs> you know, that, that, hug. totally, totally, dude, because that that's what it is, right? It's like when we don't know and, and bless our parents, they did the best they could. I always say, you know, it's that they didn't know. And probably one of them or both of them have the same thing. It's like, you know, it's what do you do? <laughs> But now that you know, so what's your message now? And we're coming to a close here. What's your, sure. now that you know, what do you want to tell those? Those that get these double diagnoses, or I mean, there are comorbidities that go along with ADHD. Sure. But some of them are a little bit more like, you know, heavier to, to, to bear. It's like, great. Now there's this other thing. And now there, I have this other label. What do you want to tell our audience? The biggest message that I really try to, to hit home is that no one ever said being awesome would be easy. You know, we do have our unique gifts, although, you know, and, and this is where I kind of focus as a counseling psychotherapist is, you know, I break a lot of, I don't, I don't, I don't want to say conventional, but, you know, things that have been done for a very long time. When someone typically comes in, you focus on on what is perceived to be the problem. It, it doesn't work <laughs> a lot of the time for, for those of us who are neurodivergent. So I choose to focus on the positive. The other stuff will come out. But let's, let's focus on the positive things and how can I help you in those areas to kind of figure out how far we can take them, how far we can go. So, you know, no one ever said being awesome would be easy. It means that it takes work. It does take a lot of hard work just because you have a diagnosis or you started taking medication doesn't mean that, you know, the, the sea is going to part and, and everything's going to become really obvious. It, it just, it doesn't work that way. It also takes work. So knowing is great, but getting uh, the right kind of help and the right Kind of support system around you will really help you to kind of focus and, and achieve the goals but it, it is it's hard work no one gets from a to c without going through b and i think part of you know the, the positive aspect is doing things like having this podcast where we can share our stories with other people so they can have those aha moments and, and reflect and realize that hey wait a minute there are people like me out there and and this is one way for them to kind of get connected to us and learn more about who we are and what we do and and if it's something that they want to strive towards then you know, the more positive examples that are out there, the more likely they are to, to realize those goals themselves. So good. Thank you, Sean. Thank you. I could talk to you for a long time, but then I know I'll lose the attention of my audience as well. Yeah. It, what, is there anything else that, that I missed in asking you that that's on your heart that you want to speak into? Really just the, the giftedness that, that comes with it, you know, with so many people really focusing on the things that we can't do, you know, and, and this is something that I, I really try to focus on with the families that I work with. If a, if a parent contacts me about working with their child, I insist on working with the parent first. Yeah. If I work with that child yes. and, and I send them back to the same ignorant household, then I'm doing a disservice to the family. So I, I really try to focus on working with the, the family. And as a parenting expert, a lot of what I learned was, you know, being a therapeutic foster parent, having a really supportive team, but also in learning all the things that my parents tried that didn't work. Yeah. That, that really, you know, my reward systems don't work. My, I mean, I went through all this stuff with my parents and, and you know, a lot of hard lessons that I was able to, to recognize and realize much later in life, but it's, it's going to be a challenge, right? Again, no one ever said being awesome would be easy. There's a mental and physical toll to operate at the level at which we do. And I think having more people like us out there to support neurodivergent folks is, is only going to be a good thing. Awesome. How can people find you, Sean? Well, the only way you can't find me is if you're living under a rock somewhere. I'm on every social media platform you can imagine. Uh, look, just look up, don't diss my ability. You know, this is my logo. So it's black with white and, and uh, gray or silver lettering. 
Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, TikTok, Twitter, you name it, I'm there. Awesome. And I'll link to all of it in the show notes so you guys can learn about Sean and and hear what he has to say. He's done some amazing interviews in the past with other podcast hosts. And thank you so much, Sean. This is a delight. It was so overdue. I'm so glad that you're my guest of this year, 2022. That's my first Woo-hoo. awesome guest. Thank you so much, Sean. All right, folks, I hope you found this episode useful. I certainly did. And I learned a lot from Sean and, and his perspective. I appreciate so much. And until next time, my friends, keep on shining.